Father, we're your people. And we're here. Not because we're good or obedient or faithful, but because we're yours. In this place, may we hear the soft sound of sandaled feet. And as always, we pray for the one who teaches that you would forgive him his sins, because there are many we have come here to see Jesus and him only. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I love our pastor big, but I think I've offended him. If you're new to this church, uh, you know that on Advent, I generally participate with our pastor in a series of Advent sermons. Last year, uh, the series was about ragamuffins at Christmas. I thought that was cool until I saw what he assigned me. He gave me Mary, the mother of God. Oh, man. Well, I thought I paid the price. This year will be different. And then I saw what he assigned me this year. We're talking about the supremacy of Jesus at Advent. That's a good subject. In our minds, our hearts, in our lives. He gave me the subject, the supremacy of Jesus in our souls. What the fat does that mean? I have no idea. I've been struggling with it all week, trying to find something and telling Jesus, have you noticed the page is blank? Could you possibly give me something? Kathy, uh, my associate, saw me struggle, and she said, be faithful to scriptures, Matthew 26. They sang a hymn, and they went out. So you can have us sing, it is well with my soul. And then you can have the benediction. Or, alternatively, you could call in sick. But somewhere between there and here, I have seen some things that are so good, I can hardly wait to share them with you. And not only that, the things I've discovered have once again shown the wisdom of my pastor. If you have your Bible, I'm going to read a statement. These are real short texts from 1 Peter, which sets up the principle. And then I'm going to flip over to Philippians, and I'm going to read an illustration of what Peter just said. This is 1 Peter 2, and I'll start reading at the 24th verse, where Peter says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your 
souls. And then flip over to Philippians, a very familiar passage, where the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 4, and I'm going to begin at the 10th verse, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received, revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. I can do all things through him that is Christ who strengthens me. Now some boring stuff that we have to do. Did you know that the word soul is used literally hundreds of times in the scripture? I started to count them and I got up to 700 and there were more to go. There are two main words that are used in scripture. The Hebrew word nephesh and the Greek word suke from which we get psychology or psyche. And, and it means so many different things depending on the context. It can mean breath. It can mean passion. It can mean your true self. It can mean uh, uh, emotions. Let me read you some scripture. And this is just a dip into it so I can show you. Genesis 2, 7 is where it starts. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living soul. In other words, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. Psalm 23, 3. He restores my soul. Psalm 42, 1. As the heart pants, after the water brook, so pants my soul after you, O God. Psalm 103, 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. Matthew 10, 28. Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell, Matthew 16, 26. What, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Luke 12, 20. This night your soul is required of you, and these things whose will they be? 1 Corinthians 15, 45. The first Adam was made a living soul. The last Adam made a quickening spirit. And then Luke 1, 46, and it's the place where we get the title of Mary's song, the Magnificat. And this is what she says, uh, my soul magnifies the Lord. You need to know there's a lot of controversy about this concept of the soul. 
there's some people that say we are three parts, body, soul, and spirit, a trichotomy. That's Watchman Nee. When I was a young pastor, I read his three volumes, The Spiritual, the spiritual Man. And as I read it, I understood the words, but I felt like I was drowning in it, and I could never make it work. And then there's some people that say, we are a dichotomy. There is the body, and then there is the spiritual side of us that is the soul. Frankly, I'm not into all of that partly because I'm a Cretan, secondly, because I'm not religious, and thirdly, because I don't understand. And frankly, I don't give a rip, especially when I'm hungry and when I'm afraid. I, re I remember in seminary, and I'm not making this up, a worship professor writing on the blackboard said this, the reason we do not have awakening in the church is because in the liturgy, we put the sanctus in the wrong place. What? I thought then, you're a fruitcake. I'm not going to say so because I need the grade, but I'm going to get out of here as soon as I can, and I'm going to cut to the chase. Like, am I forgiven? I don't mean for not flossing this morning. I mean, really, am I forgiven? Is there a God? And if there is a God, what's he like? Is he a monster? Does he demand the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Is he a child abuser? What does he require of me? Does he care that I'm hurt? Does he love? And very hesitantly, does he really love me? And then for our purposes this morning, and again, tell me, what difference does Christmas make? And so I'm going to give you a working definition of the soul, and then I'm going to share some things with you that are so Cool. The working definition is mine, but it is biblical. The soul is you. Not the lying you, or the sinning you, or the scared you, or the running you, or even the religious you. Underneath all of that, there is a real you, and your soul is you. First Things is one of my favorite magazines, and in this current issue, there's an article titled, What the Novelist Knows. And Julian Green, the novelist, is quoted in that particular article as saying that a novelist can't be a saint because a novelist has to enter into the sinfulness of the characters. And once you move into the sinfulness of the characters, you live it out, and that's why saints don't write novels. Well, I get that, okay. But when you finish the novel, when it's finally in print and you've corrected the galleys, who leaves it alone and goes back to who you are? The soul is you. The soul 
and you know what I'm talking about. The soul is the real you. I love the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, and you've heard a thousand times how that hymn came about. Horatio Spafford had lost everything in the Chicago fire. He had lost his son previous to that. And uh, having nothing left in Chicago, he put his wife and four daughters on a ship to Europe, and he was going to join them later. Uh, All four of his daughters, they were in a ship collision, uh, were killed in that crash. And she, his wife, almost died. Her name was Anna. And uh, when they were pulling her out of the water, they told her about her daughters. And she said, God gave me four daughters, and now he has called them home. Spafford got the news, immediately got on a ship, and, and headed for Europe to join his wife. And on that trip over, he asked the captain approximately where his daughters had died. And standing on the deck of that ship, he wrote, it is well, it is well with my soul. Now, everybody knows that story. Let me tell you the rest of the story. When he got to Europe, he started teaching the Bible and got some followers. And then he announced that he was the new Messiah. This is true. This is going to ruin your day. Not only that, he moved to Israel with his followers, proclaiming himself as the new Messiah, and he died in Israel. I have a friend who says it may have been well with his soul, but he was wacko in his mind. (laughs) I want you to know that's not true. Spafford is not a dichotomy or a trichotomy. We have a tendency to sing that song and to think, well, he wrote it and he meant it when he was in his right mind, when he was close to God, when he was really spiritual, when things were hard, but he knew Jesus. I would suggest that the same song could have been sung in Israel when he thought he was the Messiah. Why is that? Because the soul is the real you. Listen uh, to these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, even serious psychological issues, so that people think I'm wacko, thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. So what does it have to do with Advent? Let me tell you something. When Jesus came, the first Advent, because of Bethlehem, there are three things. There are more than that, but I don't have time. There are three things I want you to think about and I want you to remember. And I've been thinking about them all week. Because of Bethlehem, your souls are precious. Peter says that Jesus is the overseer and bishop 
and shepherd of your souls. You want to know what that shepherd's like? Go to John 10 and read what Jesus says about him being the shepherd. And you, you read that and you think, my, he likes me a lot. Have you ever come across an idea that changed everything you thought? That happened to me recently when I was reading the manuscript of an unpublished book. I thought that I had heard everything that Martin Luther ever said. In my study at Key Life, on the bookshelf above where I work are the complete works of Martin Luther. I'm waiting for a vac vacancy in the Trinity so Martin Luther can take the place. I mean, I really love this guy. And I thought I knew everything he said. And this was brand new to me. Let me tell you, it's so good. God does not search for what he loves and what he cherishes. He creates it. Let me say it again. God does not search for what he loves and what he cherishes. He creates it. That would be you. Have you heard the joke about the preacher who wanted to know how his 20-year-old uh, son was going to turn out? So he lay, went into his bedroom and he laid out on the bed a bottle of whiskey, a Bible, a copy of Playboy, and a $10 bill. <laughs> And he hid behind the door, and he watched to see what his son was going to do. If his son picked up the Bible, he was going to be a preacher. If he picked up the whiskey, he was going to be a drunk. If he picked up the Playboy magazine, he was going to be a womanizer. And if he, if he picked up the $10 bill, he was going to be a businessman. And he watched behind the door as his son picked up the Bible, put it under his arm, took the whiskey, took a big swig of the whiskey, flipped through the Playboy magazine, and put the $10 bill in his pocket. And the preacher said, oh, Lord, my son is going to be a politician. <laughs> I'm sorry. Je Jesus didn't have to do that. Because Jesus created you, the real you to cherish and love. And he's going to cherish and love you forever. Robin, our daughter, is a potter. And uh, I know I'm her father, but uh, she works at Key Life. But she is an amazing and gifted artist. Some of the pieces she does are so beautiful, they take my breath away. And she gives them to her friends and her family members for Christmas, and we cherish them and we love them. I was at her house the other day, and she had some pieces she had done, and I was going to see if I could talk her out of them. I said, could I have one of these? She said, no, Daddy, you can't. I said, why not? I'm your father. You ought to be obedient to me. Give it to me. No way I'm going to give it to you. That's my piece. Those are the pieces I created, the ones I love the most, and I'm never going to give them away. And Barnhouse said, all of life illustrates Bible doctrine. And when she said it, I thought about Jesus, and nobody will take them out of my hands. You're cherished. The real you. Forget about the lying you. 
the sinning you, the real you, you are cherished. But note also, you're not only cherished, you're shepherded. How about that? You're shepherded. But when, when Peter says he's the shepherd of our souls, you begin to see that he takes care of things like food, he protects us, he teaches us, he's working with us to make us even more. I, Anna is in Alabama with our grandchildren. I love you guys, but I wish I was with her. Because, <laughs> I, well, I love her, but I love our grandchildren a lot. They're better than yours. God only, I, you've sends boys to guys he doesn't like. And I have two daughters and three granddaughters. And our granddaughters are growing up. The oldest one's in college, and the other two are in high school. And I want you to know that I love them. You have no idea. This is true with our God. I love them totally. I would have given my life for any of those girls. But I want you to know, as they grew and began to talk, and I began to see what was happening in their lives, the things they were learning, the exciting ways they were changing, I love them, is it possible? Even more. That's what God has done. You take, some of you, most of you don't even know what it is, but the AARP magazine, I'm really old. If when you turn 50, you can take it and join. Then you start getting that dumb magazine. Burn it. It's filled with drivel. Case in point, the one that just came last week had an article called The Seven Things to Foster Your Inner Life. And I thought, that'd be cool. I'd like to know that myself. You know what they are? Hold on to your family. All right, I'll go with that. Get a job. What? Get over yourself. Well, maybe. Use different gifts. Find like-minded folks. Get a dog. Make new friends. Who writes this stuff? What's with... Well, if that turns you on, I guess. If that fixes your inner life, you're something wrong with you. Or you don't have much that needs fixing. I, frankly, would rather hang out with Jesus. The truth is, he shepherds our souls. And so the things that you and I are worried about, the sin you can't quit, and you've tried over and over again, chill out, you're going to get better. Do you have personality traits that drive your friends nuts? I do. And I've tried biting my tongue, smiling all the time, and being nice, and I just can't do it. And Jesus told me, chill out, I'm going to take care of it. You uh, have lost somebody, and, and the nights are hard, and he's not there to wind the clocks anymore. That's awful, but it's okay. Jesus is going to take care of that. You feel like you're never going to be a strong, faithful Christian. 
I feel that way, and I've been doing it a lot longer than you have. Chill out. It's going to be okay. Galatians 2.20 says, this is Paul speaking, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but Christ liveth in me. Now, please note that Paul did not say, go be crucified with Christ, or get a cat of nine tails, or suffer some and be crucified with Christ. He's not telling you what to do. He's telling you what you are. You're already crucified. That's your soul. And then notice in our text, in 1 Peter, what Peter says, by his wounds, you will be healed. Notice what he says. By his wounds, you are healed. The real you. So, say what the hey. Live as best you can. Run with him. And someday you're going to go to college. And he'll love you even more than he loves you now. And he loves you totally right now. And then there's one other thing that I found that is so good. He not only uh, uh, shepherds our souls, he not only treasures our souls, he preserves our souls. My mentor, uh, Fred Smith, was wont to say to people who are thinking about becoming Christians, he would say, look, you're hooked. Keep flashing around in the water. All you're going to do is get your blood in the water. Because when you're hooked, you're hooked. And Jesus will bring you in. I thought about that a lot, especially sometimes when I want to run. Do you know what I feel, and you do too, it's just you're, I'm the only one brave enough to admit it because I'm old and I don't give a rip. Sometimes I get so sick of this stuff, I want to die. Some, sometimes I don't want to hear anything, I don't want to sing another hymn, I don't want to go to another worship service. I don't want to have anything to do with religion. I just, I'm the most religious person here with the possible exception of our pastor. And I want you to know sometimes I'm so tired of it, I want to scream. And I tell God too. And he says, you can't get out of it. Where are you going to go? So deal with it. And then he says, oh, by the way, have I told you lately that I love you? And so I'm still here, wounded and sinful and afraid sometimes and lonely sometimes, cussing and spitting sometimes, wandering sometimes, marginalized sometimes, but I'm still here. And I'll be here when he comes or I go home. I have a friend who's a missionary in Mexico. I love him more than I can say. And he sent me an email the other day to bless me. He was going through a hard time and God had blessed him and he wanted me to 
share what God had given him. He was writing about the soul. His name's Tom, by the way, Tom Sloan. I got his permission yesterday to use this. Uh, he wants to run, too, sometimes, and he knew that I want to run sometimes. So he wrote the following about the soul, even if he didn't know it. Hi, Steve. Just a simple, encouraging thought. You go along in life doing what you think is right before God and man. You follow the convictions God has given you in and by his grace, however weak and stained they may be to the best of your ability. You give, you bleed, you sacrifice, and you cry. You doubt, you cuss, you spit, you pray. You hold on with your mental and physical might. Your fingers start to bleed, your mind starts to slip, and your gut starts to twist and turn and growl. Yet, you hang on for dear life. You go against the current of popular thought. You are accused of superficiality. You are belittled by the very ones who once prayed for you and supported you, and still, you hang on. You feel your soul start to wander. Your mind becomes a circus. Your emotions turn to mush. And your heart begins to fail. But still, you hang on. Your sin accuses you. Your past shouts profanity. Your present seems foggy. And the future seems impossible. And you, for some weird crazy reason, you stay the course. And then, and then in one fleeting moment, for one, three, 10, 15 minutes, you get a glimpse, a glimpse of God's amazing goodness and love, his grace, power, and awesome provision and all the pain is erased. All the doubt is gone because you know that all along God was right. You see, as it were, with eyes of faith that the promises of God hold fast in every generation, culture, and circumstance. And maybe, just maybe, you too were right to trust, to trust so radically, so foolishly, so humanly, so deeply. You take a deep breath, knowing that the fleeting moment won't last for long because you live in a world cursed by sin and a body conquered by corruption. But it doesn't matter because God gifted you with that glimpse. So you hold on. But curiously enough, that glimpse is enough to fuel your engines your stamina, your perseverance, stubbornness, and adrenaline. So you hold on. You go from faith to faith, from grace to grace, from day to day. You walk on the water with Jesus. You move mountains. You raise the dead and heal the sick. Oh, we have believed and persuaded that he is able. Time and again, we are reassured, my God shall supply your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And all this is for you and me. 
human, sinful, afraid, undeserving. You have a powerful day. Love you, Tom. Oh, my. That's the difference Christmas makes. That's what Bethlehem is all about. You're cherished, the real you. You are shepherded, so lighten up. Dance. Enjoy the moments when they come. And you are preserved until the end. So, the next time I worship people sing, Arise! You sing it with gusto. Arise, my soul, arise. Shake off your guilty fears and rise. And if you listen to what I taught you this morning, you know why. You think about that. Amen. Thanks for listening. By the way, the next time you're shopping on Amazon, you can help Key Life at the same time at no extra cost to you. Check out keylife.org slash Amazon Smile. Oh,